Good morning. It's good to see everyone here this morning. I hope I have something to say that you might find beneficial. I was going back through some old sermons, and I'm not sure if I gave this one here, but the last time it said I looked at it was in 2014. So if I have, I think the congregation has changed enough where maybe, I think I actually gave it at Gunner. I'm not sure. I need to start writing that down. But I think it's important, especially in this day and time, and the, where we're going to get most of uh, the sermon from this morning is in Joshua. I'm not going to turn over and read it, but there's a story there. And it's after the children of Israel had sent spies into the land, and they came back. Two spies said they could take it. The rest of them said, no, we can't. So God said, well, you're going to wander in the wilderness, and you're not going to partake of the promised land until everybody that's above this age is dead and gone. So they wandered the wilderness for 40 years. And now they're finally getting ready to go into the promised land. And they're getting ready in their camp by the River Jordan. And I don't know why we don't talk about this one as much as we do the Red River, but God caused the waters to part again, and they walked through on dry land. And when they got to the other side, God told them, I want you to take these stones and stack them one on top of another. And that's going to be a memorial of this day. So what we're going to talk about this morning is building a memorial. You know, we know what memorials are. Memorials are something that we remember, things we put up to show that we remember something that happened. You know, if you want to see a lot of memorials, go to Washington, D.C., in that area of the country. There's a lot of memorials for different things in that part of the country. We can, when we think of memorials today, we may think of this one. The men planting the flag at Iwo Jima, and they built a memorial so we would remember that. Or we might think of the Lincoln Memorial in Washington, D.C., the president that got us through the Civil War to abolish slavery. So maybe we think of that. More recently, maybe we think of the Vietnam Memorial. The wall there that has all the men that died in Vietnam. You can go to Washington, D.C. and see that, and you remember those people that made that sacrifice. You remember what they did for us on those days. It's something that you remember. It's something to show that we remember that. Some of us might think of this. Something that's put on a headstone. This was Bose Eichard, serving me four years on the good night loving trail, never shirked a duty, nor disobeyed an order, rode with me in many stampedes, participated in three engagements with the Comanches, splendid behavior, see good night. That may sound a little bit familiar if you're a Lonesome Dove fan. That's the epithet that McMurtry got for Dietz. He used part of that in that book. Do we, that may be something we think of as a memorial, something that we put on a headstone when somebody's gone, that way we can remember something about them. What does the Bible have to say about memorials? Is that something we should be worried about? Or is it just something that we should be worried about here on this earth to remember things that people did down here? Well, let's take a look at what the, some of the memorials the Bible talks about. <clears throat> and when Jesus was in Bethany at the house of Simon, the leper, a woman came to him having an alabaster flask of very costly fragrant oil, and she poured it on his head as he sat at the table. But when his disciples saw it, they were indignant, saying, why, why this waste? For the fragrant oil might have been sold for much and given to the poor. But when Jesus was aware of it, he said to them, Why do you trouble the woman? For she has done good work for me. For you have the poor with you always, but me you do not have always. For in the pouring of this fragrant oil on my body, she has d d done it for my burial." Did it for my burial. Assuredly, I say to you, 
wherever this gospel is preached in the whole world that this woman has done will also be told as a memorial to her. Now, does that sound like something big and great? I anointed the Savior with oil. Does that sound like, well, it doesn't take a lot of effort. She had the oil. Is that something that sounds huge? You know, today we think of memorials have to be something that was something that great that happened. Some sort of great sacrifice that was made. You go to New York City, you can see the 9-11 memorial. We're all, most of us in this room are old enough to remember that day. Do we really need the memorial there to say that those planes hit those towers there? No, we remember that. that was something big. Memorials aren't always something big. We need to get over this fact that we have to do something great with our lives or great in order to be, have people remember us. Another one we have is Jesus instituting the Lord's Supper. On the night he was betrayed, he took the bread and the cup. And he told them, this is my body. Take and eat it. This is my blood that I shed for you. Drink it all. And as you do this, you remember me until I come. Again, are these something that's great? It's a little bit of bread and a little bit of grape juice, a little bit of fruit of the vine. It doesn't have to be huge. But this is a memorial to Jesus and what he did for us on that day. We, remember, we show that we remember that by doing this. You know, that's all a memorial is, is that we show that we remember something. We show that we remember the day that those planes hit the towers. We show that we remember the men that died in Vietnam, the men who planted the flag in Iwo Jima. We show that we remember that by making these memorials. It's not the fact that we wouldn't remember it if they weren't there. But we show the fact that we remember it. Are there things that God has done in your life that's worthy to show that you remember those things? Are we building a memorial to God with our lives? Showing that we remember those things that he did for us. And we want to show that we remember those things that he did for us. Who is a memorial for? You know, did the people that crossed that river really need those stones to remind them that God separated the sea? I'm pretty sure if I saw that, I would remember that. That wouldn't be something I'd have to have a reminder of. Well, let's read what is said in Joshua. Then he spoke to the children of Israel, saying, When your children ask their fathers in the time to come, saying, What are these stones? Then you shall let your children know, saying, Israel crossed over this Jordan on dry land, for the Lord your God dried up the waters of the Jordan before you until you had crossed over, as the Lord your God did that Red Sea, which he dried up before us until we had crossed over, that all the peoples of the earth may know the hand of the Lord that is mighty, that you may fear the Lord your God forever. It wasn't for the people that were there that day. But you know who was there? There were some little children there that didn't understand what those stones were. Eventually they're going to ask. And that way, you could teach them about what God had done for them that day. It wasn't for the people that were there. You think the people that survived 9-11 need that memorial to remember they were there? No. It's for the future generations to come. 
That way they might know who God was and how mighty God was. And that they may fear that might of the Lord forever. It wasn't for the people that were there. They saw it. They witnessed it with their eyes. They walked through the dry land with the water around them. They knew what happened. But God knew eventually somebody was going to ask about those stones and it was going to be a teaching moment. Eventually somebody that wasn't there was going to ask, hey, why do we stack those stones for? You know, if you've ever taken... My sister is a history major, if you didn't know. She has her master's in history. And one of the things she did is she took a thing to Washington, D.C. And she had a group of undergrads that were with her. And they asked her, she said they asked me all sorts of questions when they would see certain things. And Melissa goes, I didn't know all of it, but I knew it was there for a reason. People ask, people that have never seen the Lincoln Memorial, they go, who's that guy? Who's the guy sitting in the chair? You know, for all of us that have been taught about it, we all pretty well know. But not everybody knows that. Some of the young children may come up and go, hey, who's that guy sitting in the chair? And then we teach them about it, don't we? We go to museums. Kids will ask questions, and then we say, well, this is what happened, and this is why that was important. Do we just do that with things of this world, or do we do that with God's Word? Hey, why do we do that? Have your kids ever asked that question? Why are we doing this? Why are we doing that? I'll tell you what, if you've had kids for any length of time, you know their most popular question is, why? Why? Why do we do that? Why do we not do this? It wasn't for the people that were there. It was for the future generations. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk up by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Diligently te teach them diligently to your children. What do we teach our children today? Uh, I've asked Delilah before, what did you learn at school today? Nothing. Then why am I sending you there? <laughs> Is that what we're worried about? Are we worried about the education? There's nothing wrong with getting an education. There's nothing wrong with wanting your kids to go to a college and get an education and get a good job. There's nothing wrong with that. But do we diligently, <clears throat> diligently te teach the laws of God to your children? Do you do that? Or are you just diligent about math and history and science? And all of a sudden, that's going to get them into a good college. Or do you diligently teach them the law of the Lord? Is that something you teach them all the time? Do we do that? Are we diligent in that? You know, sometimes I, there's, more, there's some things I'm more diligent in than others. There are certain things I make sure happen more than others. Do I diligently make sure I teach my kids that? Or do I not? Are they going to be able to look at me and say, Dad did that and there's a reason he did that? Or do they just going to know, well, Dad taught me math, history, and science, and I got a pretty good job? You know, these memorials here that we talked about earlier, 
eventually those are going to go away. Eventually, maybe through the decay, some of them already have had decay and they've had to repair some of them. That memorial right there, they had to replace some of the soldiers in it because they were rusting. And they tried to put more metal in there because they didn't want it to rust all the way through. The memorial you're building is not physical today. It's not going to be something people can go and see. But what are these kids sitting in this building going to say about you when you're gone? What kind of example are you going to leave for them? That's the memorial we're building today. It's not going to be something for us because we're going to be gone at that point. One day, I'm going to be gone, and what the kids think of me or what the kids are going to think of me. I can't change it. I can't do anything about it at that point. Up until that point, I can make sure I build something that they can know who God is, why we did what we did, and that I diligently taught them about God. But after that point is gone, their opinion of me is going to be their opinion of me. I can't do anything about it at that point. Just like these men are gone, and we can't, they can't do anything about the opinion that we have of them. We, we think pretty highly of them because we built memorials to them, but they, they have no control over what we think anymore. They've lived their lives. Their lives are over. And now it's up to history. It's up to what people remember about them. What are people going to remember about us? Is it going to be, oh, he was the best employee, he was the best boss, he was a pretty funny guy, he was athletic, he could, he could uh, give a pretty good speech. What about, he was a good Christian, she was a good Christian, what about that? Is that going to be something they're going to say? What type of memorial are you building? You know, you can build more than one type of memorial in this life. Let's look at this real quick. No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Are you building one on things of this earth? Trying to be the most successful person in, on this earth? Trying to make the most money you can while you're here on this earth? Or are you serving God? Serving God, because your kids are going to see. You don't even have to tell them. They're going to be able to look at you and see what you're doing. Half the time, whenever my kids ask me something, I'm not actually telling them anything. They're watching while I'm doing it. They're asking, why are you doing it like that? You know, Lila likes to watch his cooking. She'll ask, why are you doing that? Why are you doing that? We're not even trying to teach her anything, really. She's just sitting there watching and asking. These kids are learning something for you every day. You may not even be telling them a thing. They may be just be, just be watching you. Watching how you make decisions, watching what decisions you make, watching where you put your time, watching where you put your effort. And where are you putting it? Are you putting it in things of God or in things of mammon? Are they going to remember how great of an how great of an employee you were, how great of a boss you were? Are they going to remember? He did his best to follow God. Because we're not perfect. We're not going to do any of this perfect. I'm not trying to get that by, that by anybody else. Everybody knows we're not perfect. But where are we putting our time and effort? That matters. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Present your bodies a living sacrifice. Are we doing that? Our kids are going to know it if we're not. They're going to be able to see what we're doing. 
Even if we're telling them we're doing that, they're going to be able to tell, hey, he's really not doing that just by what we do and how we do it. And what's even, it's a reasonable service. It's not something that's unreasonable. Are people going to remember you for following God or are they going to remember you for something else? Children's children are a crown of old men and the glory of children is their father. You know, sometimes we think, I got my children raised, I ain't got to worry about this anymore. I got grandkids, that's fun to have. You know, my dad told me one time, he goes, if I'd known how fun it is to have grandkids, I might have just started there. <laughs> is our job over once that happens? Once we have our kids raised and they're on their own, is our job over? Well, let's look at this real quick. When I call into remembrance the genuine faith that is in you, which dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, I am persuaded is in you also. Just because you're a grandparent doesn't mean... Your example doesn't matter anymore. He said, here, I know the faith that was in your mother and your grandmother, and I'm persuaded is in you also. Are we living that example of faith? Are we showing our kids and grandkids that example? Or are we just hoping maybe one day they'll accidentally stumble across it? Maybe they'll find it in somebody else. You know, the four most influential people in my life were my parents and my grandparents. That's just the way it was. I learned more from them than anybody else. Parents and grandparents, those kids are watching you every minute of the day. You may not believe it, but anytime they're around you, they're watching you and they're learning from you. They're learning how you handle stressful situations. They're learning how you handle anything that life throws at you just by watching you don't even really have to tell them a whole lot of anything. Are you showing them the right way to do things? Or are you showing them the right way to do things as the earth defines it? Well, you know, it's probably really not ethical, but as long as you don't get caught at it, you can do it this way. You know, I'm really not supposed to do it this way, but nobody's really going to notice, so I'm going to go ahead and do it. Just because I know it's going to help me get ahead. You know, my dad had a cartoon for a while. I don't know what ever happened to it. But it showed a father and son walking through what used to look like fire. And once it got to the end of the little strip, it said, Dad, why didn't you ever tell me about this place? Is that something our kids are going to ask us? Why didn't you tell me about these things? Why didn't you warn me about these things? You know, my dad used to say, that's sad, but what would have been even sadder is if the dad would have made it and the kid didn't. What's going to happen on that day? Are you going to do everything you can to make sure that doesn't happen? And you know what? I know we, kids will grow up and do their own thing a lot of the times, but are you putting everything that you can into it? That way you know they have that foundation? Or are you just hoping by some miracle they find it on their own? You know, we have a lot of kids here. That's one thing this, co this congregation is blessed with. We have a lot of young kids, and we have a lot of young families. We're probably going to have more, more kids before it's all said and done. What kind of example are we setting for these kids? You know, whenever we were ordained as deacons, I said, I want this church to be here for a long, long time. I want my place for my kids, my grandkids, my great-grandkids. What are we doing to ensure that happens? Are they going to be able to look back at our example and you know what? This is how Yancey or Matt or Mike or Jeremy or Kyle or whoever, this is how they would have handled that. That seemed to work out, so let's try to do it that way. Or they can go, 
Somehow we made it through that with it, despite them instead of because of them. What are we doing? What are we doing to make sure that this bedrock is set here? That these kids have that to lean on. Because you know what? They're either going to learn something from you or they're going to learn it from the world. The world's going to teach them and what you want, the, and what you want them to learn may not be necessarily what the world's going to teach them. So what are you doing? That's a, that's a tough That's a hard question to answer. Well, I think I'm doing a, I mean, it's a big responsibility. You know, Kyle prayed about the soul this morning. You know, the scriptures say, what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? Or what shall a man profit if he gain the whole world and lose his own soul? I want you to know right now your kids have a soul and it's the most valuable thing and you better teach it to them before the world tells them it's not. You better teach those kids that because the world's going to come and say, oh, no, that's not the most important thing. The most important thing is to be accepting of everybody no matter what they do. The most important thing is I'm going to be accepting, I'm going to be kind, and I don't care what you do. That's your own business. As long as it doesn't affect me, you go do whatever you want. Whatever your lifestyle is, we're going to accept it. You know, what? whatever you're doing is not wrong. It makes you feel good. As long as it makes you feel good, hey, that's okay. My granddad had a, was watching a TV show one time, and this doctor goes, hey, as long as it makes you feel good. He goes, oh, good, they got Dr. Feelgood on here again. As long as it makes you feel good, that's great. Especially now when the world's telling them, hey, you can be whatever you want to be, and people will just have to accept it, because if not, they're just being bigoted or racist or whatever ist you want to put on the end of it. You can't tell that kid no, because that's their individuality. Don't tell them no. You're going to ruin their, you're going to ruin their individuality. They need to be who they are, regardless of what society or you say. They just need to be who they are. That's what they're going to learn from the world. Is that what you want them to learn? Well, if you don't, what are you doing about it? Simple question. It's a hard answer, but it's a simple question. What are we going to do about it? And not only parents. Let's look at Titus 2, 1 through 8 here. But as, you, as for you, speak of the things which are proper for sound doctrine, that the older men be sober, reverent, temper, temperate, sound in faith, in love, and patience. The older women likewise, that they be reverent in behavior, not slanderers, not given to much wine, teachers of good things, that they admonish the young women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste housemaker, homemakers, good, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be blasphemed. Likewise, exhort the young men to be sober-minded in all things, showing yourself to be a pattern of good works in doctrine, showing integrity, reverence, incorruptibility, sound speech that cannot be condemned, that one who is... An opponent may be ashamed, having nothing evil to say of you. We're examples of the kids that aren't even our kids or grandkids. You know that? Are we teaching them? You know, they're looking at you right now. They may not be your grandkids. They may not be your kids. Are you being the kind of example you need to be to them? Are you teaching them things they need to be taught? Now, the parents are ultimately responsible. Don't get me wrong. But as a church, these kids are looking at every single person in this building seeing what they do. They see what we do at lunchtime. They see what we do when we're around each other. What kind of examples are we setting for these kids? 
Are we setting the kind of example that this church will be here 100 years from now? Are we setting the kind of example and doing the things that we should that give our kids the best chance to stay faithful to God in a, in a world that wants to turn their heart away from them? It's the most serious job any one of us has, especially parents and grandparents. It's a, the most serious job. Because I can't, I can't imagine if I asked any parent or grandparent in here, they would say, in order for me to have more free time, I'd be willing to risk that kid's soul. I can't think of anybody in here that would be willing to say that. But you know what? Sometimes our actions say that. Sometimes what we do says that. Sometimes what we don't do says that. Even though none of us would come out and just say that. We need to think about these things. Because we are building a memorial today that people are going to remember after we're gone. You know, talking about other people. You know, I kind of... I was kind of lucky. My dad was an evangelist, so I got to hang out with a bunch of evangelists. So I didn't have a whole lot of other opportunities to hear but people talking about God. I heard my dad drove, travel with Mike, with Sammy Potter, with Craig Kill. These are the guys I got to hear talk. I didn't get to hear a whole lot of what the world had to say. I heard it at school, but then when I got home, we'd go with Mike to a Bible study, and all I'd hear about was that. Or we'd go with Craig over here, and that's all I'd hear about that. Or we'd go to Nebraska with Sammy Potter and for eight hours straight, all I'd hear people talking about the Word of God and how it affected people. I feel, I feel that's kind of lucky. But how often do we do that for our kids? Do they hear us talking about things about God? Or is it, how am I going to pay the rent this month? Or what am I going to do about this job? Or what are we going to do about this bill we have to pay? Or what are we going to have for dinner? You know, that's a fun one sometimes. What do you want for dinner? I don't know. I don't know. Let's just figure something out. What are we going to do? What are we going to watch on TV tonight? What ball game are we going to watch this week? What vacation are we going to go on in the coming months? Is that all they hear us talk about? I'll tell you right now, if all your kids hear you talk about are things of this world, you are failing as a parent right now. I can't think of any other way to say it. That may be harsh, that may be crass. But if all they're hearing you talk about are things of this world, you are failing as a parent in God's eyes. And I don't want anybody to fail like that. That's why I say it that way, because that's just plain and simple truth. If you're offended, I'm sorry, but that's the way it is. I don't want anybody to fail at that. That's the most important job any of us has in this world. Don't fail at it. What's your grade? Are you, are you just doing enough to pass? Are you overachieving or are you failing miserably? I can't answer that for you. I don't know what you're doing all the time. I can't see what you're doing all the time. I don't know what you're doing with these kids all the time. But I do know one thing. They're watching you all the time. They're listening to what you say all the time. You know, we all have our favorite sayings. And sometimes it takes your kids saying it for you to realize how much you actually say it. <laughs> I mean, we were doing something, and Delilah says something I say all the time, and Amber goes, she hears that from you every day. <laughs> and it's true. She does. But does she hear me talk about God every day? Does she hear me talk about what he did for us every day? Why we need to try to live the kind of life we're living every day? Or is it just when something gets on my pet peeve nerve, she hears me say something? 
I'm not here to step on anybody's toes, but I'm here to get you to think, how are you doing? Are your grandkids and kids better off because you're here, or are they worse off because you're here? What are they going to have to look back at when you're gone? Is it just going to be some pretty headstone that they really don't know anything about that didn't take time to teach them anything? Or is there going to be memories of, hey, he taught me this, and maybe if I put this to work here, it'll work out. Or she taught me this. Or my granddad taught me this. Or the elder of the church taught me this. Or an evangelist taught me that. Or is it, are they just going to be out there lost trying to find it on their own? I don't want any of these kids to be in that situation. That's not a very tenable situation to be in. So think about how you're doing today. Think about it honestly. Don't try to put on rose-tinted glasses because it is important. You want to make yourself feel good about it. But take a good, honest look. Because I'll tell you right now, when I take a good, hard, a hard, honest look, I can do better. Sometimes I can do a lot better. And if we take that good, hard, honest look and say, hey, I need to improve on this and then vow to do it and work on doing it, this congregation and these kids will have a better shot in their future walk with God. Don't get, make them have a worse shot, please. Don't do that. Don't leave a legacy that's going to make them have a long shot to walk with God. Please don't do that. Because you'll regret it. It may not be today. It may not be tomorrow. But there's a time you will regret it. You know, my dad converted a guy. And he was in his 60s. And he said, can you go talk to my kids? And you know what the kids told my dad? He goes, he lived his whole life acting like this. And he wants me to change now. And unfortunately, you can probably ask Mike, that's a pretty common story sometimes. He lived his whole life acting one way, and now he wants me to change? No. Don't be in that situation. You will regret it. But think about these things. Look at your life. See how you're doing at these things. And like I said, there's probably not one of us that can do these things better than we are doing them right now. So take a look at those things. Look at what kind of example you're setting for these kids because we are blessed with an amount of kids here and they're looking at us every day. See, take a look at what you're showing them and what you need to be showing them. And if we can help you, won't you come as we stand and sing?